everybody. Go ahead and take a seat. How are we doing? Good. Um, thank you, Melissa. You sounded wonderful. Thank you for leading us in worship. Um, you know, as Melissa was leading us in worship, I was just thinking about this series, which we'll talk about in a moment. And, uh, you know, the Lord was just giving me a lot of joy, like just thinking about all the people that have been a part of our church at one point or another, all the like we've seen a lot of life transformation in people. We've seen a lot of cool things. And and I just was overwhelmed by the fact that, you know, God has is really given us this body, this community to be a part of. And he's using us and he's doing things and it's exciting. And and so that kind of leads me to the, the thought of this series, which you know, we're going to be going through the book of First Timothy for nine or ten weeks. Um, and I titled the series Architecture of of truth and we're really looking at really the purpose of the church and the practices of the church and why um, we must get those two things correct we must know what the purpose of the church is and what our practices how we should um, act what our congregation um, should do and what our services should look like is all really defined in scripture at least to some extent and so we're going to learn a lot about that in first timothy and so the theme verse for this series is 1 Timothy 3.15. Heads up, we're reading in a, a different translation um, for this sermon today than, than regular. So there's no Bibles on the chairs. We're going to be reading in the NIV if you want to use the uh, Bible app on your phone, or you can follow along on the screen. 1 Timothy 3.15 says this, If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God the pillar and foundation of the truth. So that's the idea here, architecture of truth. Paul writes Timothy, and really this is the theme verse of the book of 1 Timothy, is that we would know how we are to conduct ourselves in God's household, speaking of a local congregation. And we are really, listen to this, the pillar and foundation of truth to the world. We, as the church, represent God's truth to the world which is incredibly significant, and it's a really it's been entrusted to us to represent the gospel, to represent truth. Like, that's an incredible responsibility. And so in 1 Timothy, Paul really gets into a lot of deep stuff um, and really tells us how we should act as a church, what we should teach as a church, how we should treat each other as a church, what leaders should be like as a church. All of these things are addressed because it's, it's really important for us to fully understand what the church should look like so we best represent God's truth to the world. And so that's really where we're going with this series. Um, today's text is, is 1 Timothy 1 through 11. And I'm going to read the text um, as a whole, and then we'll pray and we'll dive in and uh, really explore the text uh, more deeply. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the command of our God and Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer, or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. 
The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We know that the law is made for not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. Lord, as we dig deeper into this, I pray that you would um, make the truth of this scripture abundantly clear to each one of our hearts, God, that we would listen not just with our ears, Lord, but with our hearts and our minds, that we would open ourselves up to your Holy Spirit and to your word right now, and that we would learn from this scripture um, the truth that is here. In Jesus' name, I do pray. All right, so today's sermon title is Entrusted with Truth, and it's the idea that we talked about. We as the church have been entrusted with the truth, with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And that's an incredible responsibility, as I already said. But you know, um, when was the first time, can you think back, that you were like entrusted with a responsibility? Can you think back? Like, for me, it's like this very vivid memory, not just because my mom thinks it's a hilarious story and tells it all the time. I think I would remember it on my own because it was pretty uh, significant. It was a learning moment in my life. I must have been about five years old. We were living in Russia. And I noticed my dad had chores. My mom had chores. They had these responsibilities. And I remember thinking, man, I should have chores. Like, I want responsibilities. I, I need to participate. Like, I, I want to be a man, right? These are the thoughts going through my head as a five-year-old. And so I wanted to take out the trash. Like, I was like, that seems like the manly thing to do. And we lived in this little condoplex. Um, maybe, what, what floor did we live on? The third floor. So to take out the trash, I had to go all the way downstairs. And then all the way, it was a bit of a long driveway, about a half block. And... Russia, Siberia, actually, so oftentimes, lots of snow, uh, and walk all the way to the end of the street there, about a half block walk, and, and walk back, right? Now, that might seem like a pretty big responsibility for a five-year-old, but I really wanted it, and I convinced my parents, and so they let me do it. They could watch me from the balcony or whatever, from the window, and basically walk, so they could see that I was doing it, but they didn't always watch me, and what I apparently was doing, right, is uh, I'd walk out there, and I kind of, I remember this. I don't remember doing it as many times as I apparently did, but okay. So I would go out there, and I got tired of it. I didn't like doing it anymore because it was a long walk in the snow. So I would take the trash bag, and there was a fence, and on the other side was a lady's house, right? And I would just throw it over. <laughs> and uh, I did that for around a week. So a lot of trash thrown over this fence. And eventually, we're, we're sitting there in, in the living room of our house, and we get a knock on the door. And the lady says, hey, I, I need to talk to you guys. And she says, your son's been throwing his trash over the fence into my yard for about a week now. <laughs> and she's apparently been grabbing it, taking it to the trash, and just dealing with it herself. But enough was enough, right? And so she comes, and she talks, and I got in trouble, of course. And, and uh, 
it was the first time that I was really entrusted with a responsibility. Now, the truth, and specifically the gospel, has been entrusted to us as the church. Like the, and that means that there is a responsibility that we have been entrusted with, and there is a right and wrong way to do it. Just like when I was a child, there, the responsibility was not just to take the trash outside of the house. It was to do it properly, to take it the right, to the right place and deliver it the right way, right? Throwing it over the fence was not the proper way of doing it. Now, technically, I was taking the trash out, <laughs> right? Like, technically, I was taking the trash out, but it was not the right way to do it. Well, here in the book of 1 Timothy, what we learn is that we have been entrusted with the responsibility of getting the truth out there, getting the gospel out there, but there is a right way and a wrong way to do it. And already in the early church, there are those who are teaching false doctrine. They're already preaching a false gospel. They're already having meaningless talk and endless speculations that have no profit to the gospel, or they're teaching things that are directly contrary to the gospel. And so Paul is saying there is a right way and a wrong way to preach this truth that we have been given. And so the, really the whole book of 1 Timothy is about this. Now, I want us to go through, we'll go through just kind of verse by verse here and explore this 11 verses. So the first two verses, 1 Timothy 1 and 2, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of our God, of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. It seems like a pretty usual greeting from Paul in one of his letters. Some thing that makes it different here is it says, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Now, the context of the letter shows that it was to be read to all the churches in the area. Um, but it was specifically to Timothy, who Paul viewed as his true child in the faith. Timothy was really Paul's main disciple, his, his main apprentice. This is one of the last books that Paul writes, one of the last um, that we have that Paul wrote. And it was only a couple years or so before Paul would ultimately be beheaded. And he has already been facing a lot of trials, a lot of persecution, jail for quite some time in, in Rome, and he's been freed. And, and Paul doesn't know how much longer he has, I believe. And I do believe that Paul is really building Timothy up to kind of take over a lot of his ministry. This is the man he is choosing to entrust his ministry to. And it says, child of the faith. So I want to talk about um, who, who is Timothy? And why was Paul entrusting him with such a large responsibility? Now, um, Timothy may have heard the gospel during Paul's first missionary trip. He would have been extremely young at that, at that point. And then, it, then we know that Timothy then later um, joins Paul on his second missionary journey. So he, he most likely heard the gospel during Paul's first missionary trip. When Paul comes back to that area, Timothy ends up joining him and being um, a missionary along with Paul. Timothy's name means honoring to God, and it's certainly um, the way that he lived his life. He came from a mixed race between um, Gentile or, or Greek and, and Jewish. 
uh, family. He had a good God-fearing Jewish family who taught him um, really what we would know as the Old Testament, the law. And uh, he becomes a vital part of Paul's team to the point even where he seems to be Paul's main right-hand man, the one he trusts the most. Um, he becomes so well-respected and trusted. Paul sends him out as a leader of leaders to multiple areas, such as Corinth and Ephesus. So he didn't just send Timothy out to lead one specific church. He would send Timothy out to lead all of the churches in a certain area, to be really a leader of leaders or a pastor to pastors. So he had quite a calling. He had quite an important role in the early church. Um, so he's a young man who converts, and he, and he shows himself to be faithful and sincere. And because of this, he's raised up as an extremely influential leader, even still at a young age. When Paul is writing him here, he's probably about 35 years old. Um, so a couple interesting things um, also in this first couple verses. When he says, um, the, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior. That was the title that Nero currently was using for himself, the Savior. Right? So this is a somewhat political term for Paul to say, say at this time, that God's our real Savior, Savior, not Nero. So in a certain sense, it would be like saying um, God, our you know, president or commander-in-chief, um, a lot of the terms in Scripture that sound so churchy now didn't sound churchy then. They were regular terms. Elders and, 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 and deacons and these words that were used were words for regular leaders. Shepherds was, a, was a, already a well-known idea for leadership in the church. So these terms were often already being used, and they used the language of the day. And so though they sound so churchy now, they, don't, they didn't sound as churchy then. It was really just saying, like, God is our real president. God is our real uh, commander in chief. He's our real, that word Lord, everybody had Lords. Like that was just your boss. But like today we think of that as such a holy word, but it's really just saying God, our Lord, Jesus, our, our Lord is saying Jesus, my boss, like my manager, <laughs> right? Uh, my teacher is, it's kind of this idea that, that was there, um, were just regular terms. They weren't always viewed as spiritual as we view them now. All right, let's go to this next part. In this next part, we really see Paul call out what I identified as seven types of false teaching. But let's read verses 3 through 11. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. So he's saying there are certain people that they're, they're causing problems in the church from a number of different areas. They're, it's either they're getting way too in, deep into these speculations on genealogies or it's meaningless talk. They're talking about things that don't matter, have no purpose, have no um, use in advancing the gospel. The goal of this command is love. So he's saying that he is coming from a place of sincerity um, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about. 
or what they so confidently affirm. So some of them are intentional teaching doctrines that they know are contrary to the gospel. Others just don't know what they're saying. They're just talking and trying to be leaders when they have no idea what they're talking about. Um, We know that if the law is good, if one uses it properly, suggesting there is a right way and a wrong way to look at Scripture, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their father or mother, uh, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound, sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. So there are also some who are using the scriptures in a way that seems to approve of sin. And maybe he's listing some of the things that um, were going on in the church that seemed maybe were approved of, which is pretty awful. Well, in here I identified seven types of bad teaching or false teaching addressed in this text. The first one is any doctrine against the gospel. Right, that's pretty general. But any doctrine that is completely contrary to the, the sound doctrines of what Jesus did, which is he, he died, was buried, and rose again, ultimately for our sins and for us to experience new life. So there were obviously a lot of different heresies going on. Some of them said that Jesus wasn't a real person, that he was just kind of like a, a ghost. Others said that he didn't really rise. Others said that he um, didn't really ascend. There's lots of things that were going on, lots of um, contrary doctrine. So anything that would be contrary um, or against the message of the gospel. The second is myths leading to useless speculations. And more specifically, he says that they're really not advancing the gospel. So just spending a lot of time talking about things that are useless, they're, or it's, there's no way to back them up. It's just all speculation, all opinion, no scripture, no evidence. Um, this is also a type of, of bad teaching. Meaningless talk, right? That's pretty general. But um, God forbid somebody get up on the pulpit and actually have nothing to say, right? Lots of words with no truth, (laughs) right? But it happens. It happens. Um, This isn't a place to just talk about how my day was yesterday. Like, that's meaningless talk, right? If I'm going to tell stories, they're going to be geared towards um, bringing the truth to light in Scripture and, and bringing it about in a way that we can think about it, not just for me to... Filibuster for 45 minutes. Insincere teaching or love. Or just it's insincere. They don't really mean it. They don't really care. Or there's no love behind it. This, of course, is a bad approach to teaching. An improper use of Scripture. All right, there are some who use Scripture, but improperly. Um, you can pick something, and you could go in Scripture and take things out of context and make any doctrine you want. People do it all the time. These are how cults are started. And all cults use a lot of scripture, but they use it out of context or they twist words to mean different things. And that's how they get these heresies. Um, A really good thing to do when you're reading scripture so that you don't end up believing some false thing is to read all the verses that are before it and all the verses that are after it within, within a reasonable range. So you understand the context that they're phrasing that. Most of the time, if you're confused about a verse, if you read maybe the previous 10 to 20 verses and the next 10 to 20 verses, you'll probably get it. Because he'll re- the writer will reiterate themselves or explain what they meant in that more confusing verse. If you still don't get it, look at the key words in that verse that you don't understand and use the concordance in the back of your Bible 
and look up all the other times that those words were used. Go read those verses, and I almost guarantee you will start to get what it's talking about. Um, that's the proper way to use scripture, not to look at one verse and go, I'm going to create an entire new religion because of it. Um, that's, that happens. Like There are cults all over the world because they misunderstand a few verses, when if they just read them in context or read all the other scriptures like them, they wouldn't have these false doctrines. And then lastly, any teaching that approves of or leads to sin. Right? God is abundantly clear on what sin is and how seriously he takes it. So any teaching that approves of things that God clearly disapproves of is, is heresy. That's, a, that's false teaching, and you need to avoid those teachers. And then lastly, so after he says all, all this, he, he, he addresses different sins. He addresses what I believe are seven different types of false teaching. He really says anything that is against the gospel which has been entrusted to us. Right? Paul sees his role as, as we've, been, we've been given this responsibility. We need to make sure that we're, we're getting it out there, but we're, we're preaching the right message. We're preaching the right doctrines. So, Oftentimes, you have two things that happen in the church, and both are bad. You have churches that, like, are just so into doctrine, right? And now, I am really into doctrine, okay? Um, if you're a close friend of mine, you might know that, right? Like, I can, I can talk about any given doctrine for a very long time, okay? But here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron and Jay have probably heard some of my long uh, doctrinal conversations. Uh, But here's the thing. If doctrine is the only point, we're missing the point. The point isn't just to protect the gospel from heresies. It's not just to make sure that we're using scripture the right way. We do that in order that we can better get the message out there. These two things are partners. So you have churches that all they care is about is doctrine. Doctrine, 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 doctrine. And Pretty soon, there's no new people at the church. There's no lost people that they're talking to. They just gather around and talk about their favorite doctrines all day. Right? And, and they could be very well could be right. Like, I'm not saying, like, a lot of these churches, doctrinally, are, are great. But they have no mission. Okay? Then you have the other side, which, was ha- which has been, it's not new. It seems new because it's happening more and more. But it's not new. It's been happening ever since the early church, you have those who in the name of mission start teaching bad doctrines or approving of sins or allowing things certain, certain things to happen in the name of mission. Well, well, if we just don't talk about that, we can get more people into our doors. If we change the text here, more people will come to meet Jesus. Isn't that what it's all about? It doesn't really matter if these things are talked about it doesn't really matter if we we hold fast to all these doctrinal truths what really matters is just getting people into our church or or getting people to meet jesus and it sounds right but it isn't it isn't what you need is doctrinal purity you need to look at scriptures and use scripture properly teach the message the way it should be teach in the way the apostles taught it and in Scripture, it addresses all of the false doctrines that still exist today. They were already addressed. They were all, they're all here. They're already addressed. And so for us to really view doctrine and, and really pursue theological purity, 
but to realize that that's for the purpose of us getting out there with the right message. It's not to just sit around and compliment each other's doctrinal skills. <laughs> like there are theological studying. Wow, you, oh, you finally get that doctrine. Good for you. Like, or else who else can we make sure they understand it? Well, it's about getting it out there. It, all of our doctrines should lead us to mission. They all should lead us to better understanding who God is, how he wants the church to operate so that we can get out there and grow God's kingdom, grow his family. And what happens is people disconnect the two. You have churches that only care about doctrine or churches who only care about mission. And when you don't have the two together, you end up with false teaching of one form or another. And so Paul really wants us to understand and even Timothy, his apprentice, to understand the importance of the integrity of doctrine, but also the advancement of the gospel that has been entrusted to us. It's like I said when I was five years old. It's not just about getting the trash out. It's about doing it in the right way. It's both. Now, I want to address, like, we, we live in an extremely liberal city, and so the temptation for pastors in the city is to water things down to make it more palpable for people, right? To, to get people to go, okay, okay. Oh, you're not like all those churches back in the 50s? Okay, maybe I'll try you guys out. You're not like, you don't do evangelism the way they did it in the 90s with all the tracks? Okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try you out. And we're, so we're always trying to leave the old, and then we change things. And then what happens is even doctrines start getting changed, or sin starts getting approved of in the name of trying to reach people. Do you guys know what the last revival was in the USA? It was the Jesus movement in the 70s. Now, you could argue for different church planning movements today and stuff. None of them are considered revivals because they have less than a 5% um, conversion rate. So that means less than 5% of the congregation were converted at the church. For a revival to happen and for this movement to happen, you see churches with 40, 50, 60, 70% conversion rates. So the church is full of all new believers. That's a revival. But it's a huge We haven't seen that since the 70s. And before that, we hadn't really seen it since about the 30s. Um, but do you know how it, how it came about? It was right after the hippie movement in the 60s. So you had all of these people who were into crazy spiritualism. Um, they were open to everything. No judgment, man. Come on, bro. Smoke weed and, <laughs> and just no judgment, you know. This was the culture. The culture was a bunch of people in California that were living the hippie life where truth was relative. Um, and what you had was most of the churches were really strict and really hard and didn't care about evangelism. And so there was no revival until um, there were a number of pastors, but one of them being Chuck Smith was probably the most influential, got out there and started preaching straight truth to hippies. And hippies got saved and started preaching real truth, true doctrine to other hippies. And what you see out of that were actually three church planning movements, um, which in the last 40 years now have 6,000 churches between the Calvary Chapel movement, the Hope, Hope Chapel movement, and the, um, well, Harvest, but they're not a church. Yes, yeah, so Harvest is another movement that came out of it. Even some of the others, like Fresh Life Churches and their whole movement came out of Calvary. Like a lot of these movements came out of Calvary. Um, 
I'm blanking on the other one. They have over 2,000 churches at the wall. All came out of the same little hub in California where hippies were getting saved like crazy. And the reason revival happened was for really one main reason. A church took true doctrine and went to those who needed it instead of sitting around in church talking to those who already knew it. That was it. They didn't water down. They didn't approve of sin. Now, people were getting saved in that movement and then going and celebrating and doing acid together. Like, you got saved too? Let's, <laughs> let's do acid. But those people eventually were, were learning that that's not okay. They were coming into the church. They were reading the scripture and they were being taught proper doctrine and repentance and, and they were seeing transformation. It's about taking true doctrine, taking the truth that God has entrusted to us as a church, but taking it to those who actually need it. And you see revival. That's what I want to see. I think we see the culture again moving towards what it was in the 60s. It may not be about tie-dye and long hair, but it certainly is very similar to the very open to spirituality. It may be, um, again, the kind of truth is relative, whatever works for you, man. Right? You see culture moving that way again. And what won't work is us closing in and just talking about doctrine together. And what also won't work is going and changing doctrine because we think it'll work better for them. What works is loving them, but also loving the truth. And those two things don't have to contradict each other. They can really partner together. And that's how Paul did it. It's how all of the early church fathers did it. And it's really what the church is all about. Is really respecting God's scripture, his truth, and also his love for his creation, his love for his people. So I want to talk about um, verse 8 through 11 again. We'll read it one more time. This is, I believe, the third time we're reading it now. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the, to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted me. So I narrowed it down, and I have the list. Can we pull up that slide? No. There we go. So I, I brought it down. So these are the sins or the type of sinners that Paul lists in here. Lawbreakers, rebels, ungodly, sinners in general, I guess, unholy, irreligious, parent killers, regular murders. <laughs> I, I thought it interesting that he had to specify between the two. Uh, <laughs> sexually immoral, homosexuals, slave traders, liars, and perjurers. Liars on paper. Um, Okay, so look at this list. There are others, actually most of the epistles have a list similar. They'll list maybe some sins that some others don't. But in general, most of the letters in the Bible address a list of sins. Right? So I'm like, what, what is this list? Right? When you look at this list, what is it? Any, anybody? It's a list of everybody. Okay, so you look at it and you go, okay, these are, are I guess, really bad sins. Are these... Um, Things that shouldn't be allowed in the church are the is it any, if you teach that any of these are okay that would be heresy. We already talked about that. That's certainly a part of it. But what is this? Can you go to the next slide? It's the gospel invite list. 
Because immediately Paul says, concerning the gospel which God has entrusted to me. After talking about all these people, he says, the gospel's been entrusted to me. Why is he saying that? Because all these people need to hear the gospel. We didn't start, the, we didn't start Austin Chapel for the righteous, right? No churches should be started for the righteous. The gospel, the, the, the freedom that it offers is not for the righteous. It's for those who are trapped in sin. So this is the gospel invite list. If you want to know who you're supposed to invite to church, invite these people. If you want to know who to share the gospel with, invite these people. Maybe the murderers, share the gospel with them, and then turn them in. And the slave traders too. But the rest of them, share the gospel with them, and then bring them to church, right? <laughs> if you know somebody's murdering people, I would, I would share the gospel with them, and I would certainly also talk to the police. Um, but do you know what I'm saying? Like, we read these lists and we go, yeah, those are the bad people. No, these are the people the gospel is for. These are the people the gospel is for. Because Paul, he was pretty bad. He didn't directly murder Stephen, but he certainly approved of the first Christian martyr and his killing. He approved of that. And he was arrogant and, and uh, unholy. He was a sinner. I mean, maybe he didn't fit some of the others. He might have been a liar. We don't know. But the point is, Paul views himself, even in this book, as, as a sinner. He views himself as one who was not deserving of the gospel, who was not righteous, but was sick. And the gospel was brought to him. He received it, and he was changed. And he says, these are the type of people that the gospel needs to go to. Now, we do not allow these sins. We do not approve of these things. We call people to repentance But these are the type of people we need to reach. That's what Austin Chapel should be about. Who do I know that's a lawbreaker, a rebel, ungodly, a sinner, unholy, irreligious? I bet you know those. You may not know a parent killer or regular murderer. Maybe you do. Sexually immoral homosexuals, you probably do. Slave traders, probably not. But liars and perjurers, definitely. Right? Right? These are the type of people that are out there in your workplaces, in your social lives, in this city, wherever we're at, that need the gospel. They don't just need you know, us to, to yell at them about their sin. They need to know the truth that they can be forgiven, that God loves them, that they were created in the image of God and He has something so much greater for them. That's because we... Two should be able to look back and say, you know what? I'm a sinner and God saved me. And any, any righteousness that I have, any faith that I have, any gifts that I have, those all came from God. He gets all the glory, honor, and credit for, for anything good in my life. And so we should want the same for everybody on that list. And it really changes the way you read Scripture when you realize every time he lists these things, they're not just things that Christians should be rebuked of or the world should repent of, but it's the type of people that Paul is trying to get into the church. The type of people Paul is concerned about that he wants them to hear the gospel. It changes the way you read a lot of those chapters. Well, my iPad died. (laughs) You know... I kind of want to quote two people. They're actually in this room. but So Cody oftentimes has talked with me. He's like, 
it's just good for us to remember, like, how important it is that we've started a church. Like, that's an important thing. Like, that's a big deal. Like, we shouldn't take that lightly. And I love that he brings it up often when we're all having conversations. He's like, I just can't forget. Like, this is important, you know? And I love his, like, sincerity when he says it. It is. We've been entrusted with the truth. We've been entrusted with the gospel. God has called us to, to teach this truth and to reach people with the gospel. So what we're doing as a church is important. It is a big deal. This isn't a casual gathering. This is a real important thing that God has, has commanded us to do. And the second person on the way in here, Phil's talking about missed opportunities. How if, if we would just listen to the Holy Spirit, he would show us opportunities all over the place. And as he said, we get caught up in our own mind thinking about so many other things. We just miss the people that are right in front of us every day at the stores you're at, at the workplaces you're at, the social events you're at. I mean, just on the street, there are people everywhere that meet probably one of those items, definitely one of those items, and they need the truth of the gospel. So we need to take advice from these two guys right now, not just me, right? And listen, we have an important thing. This is a big deal. And if we will listen to the Holy Spirit, get out of our own selfish minds and look around the rooms that we're in and say, who do you want me to to reach out to, Lord? He will show you. If you'll open yourself up to that thought, if you'll open yourself up to the Holy Spirit, he will certainly show you. And so as we continue in this series, we're going to be looking um, really at all, all of the different practices that are important for the church, all the doctrines that are important for the church, but more than that, the purpose of the church, which is to represent truth to the world. And, and it's important that we, we do all those um, practices in the right way and, and have the right doctrine so that we represent the right truth to the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you are doing in our church. God, as I saying earlier, Lord, it's amazing to see what you have done, God. Um, but we're excited for what you will continue to do in our church. God, I pray that we would take your word seriously and we would take your mission seriously. That we would love good doctrine, good theology, but we would also love those who need to hear it most. That we would get out of our selfish minds and our selfish circles and get out there and let people know the goodness of your grace, the truth of your mercy, Lord. Lord, just ignite something in us. Ignite a fire in us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can best represent you in this city. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.